You're listening to the sermon audio from Mill Creek Community Church. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com. That is page 935 in the Bibles in the pewbacks in front of you. If you don't have a Bible, please uh, grab one and take, take it with you as our special gift for you this morning. 2 Timothy chapter 2, this is the word of the Lord. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we've died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this promise that you are faithful in times where we may even struggle in our faith. And Jesus, in this season where we celebrate your coming to be our perfect Savior, the spotless Lamb of God, Thank you for that great salvation. And Jesus, as Prince of Peace, we long for the day where your peace not only rules our hearts now as Savior, but rules our world. And we pause and we pray for the peace of our world. We pray for all the places where there are conflict, where people are at war, where you are not being honored and the image of God is being disdained among people. Oh, Lord, would you move? Would you bring salvation? Would you help your church to stand strong and bring the gospel even to the most difficult situations? And now, Lord, as we look to your word, I pray that you will honor the work that Pastor Jeremy has put in today's text. May it be clear. May you be magnified. And Jesus, may we surrender to your lordship in a greater way. In your name we ask this. Amen. You can be seated. When I was in sixth grade, I attended a super small school and was on the track team. And uh, of course, the reason is if you go to a super small school, everybody's on the track team, which explains why there I was 
husky whole milk Jeremy getting stuck in the 800 meter race. If you know track, you know that the 800 meter, that'd be a two lapper. And as a sixth grader, not sure I'd ran two laps ever. But there I was on the starting line, determined to do my best. Race begins. And I fall into what I think is a fine pace, hoping I have the strength and the understanding of how to run this race. Problem is, nobody had coached me up, and those who are, like, really good at this thing, you know, Pastor Dave's daughter, she's running this in college right now up in Nebraska. She knows the strength and the strategy for this two-lap race, not me. And so as I came around on lap one, I saw right in front of me fourth place. And I thought, well, I don't mind if I do. I'm going to go ahead and pass old Forthy. And as I did, in front of the crowd, it was glorious. I'm running faster. Crowd's going crazy. I'm thinking, oh, yeah, boy. I got fourth. And now I got third in my sights. Problem was, as previously mentioned, this is a two-lap race. <laughs> and old Jer was running like it was a one-lap race. So as I then took the corner for this second lap, I realized I don't have much left in the tank. And I had to slow way down on that backstretch, which left old fifth place now to pass me no problem. Not only fifth, but sixth went ahead and passed me as well. But I finally came to that last straightaway. And on that last straightaway, I thought, okay, i got to kick this thing into gear. So I did not want to get seventh place. And I heard old seventh man, I, I heard him kick it in. And, 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 of course, the reason I didn't want to get seventh place is because there were only seven runners in the race. <laughs> and so uh, old seventh-ski, he kicked it in, and, and I thought, not this time, man. And that crowd started to go. But as he came up alongside me, I had nothing in the tank. I was all done. I'd spent all my energy and not known how to run the race. I didn't know where to get the strength. And so he passed me. I mean, quite honestly, he could have turned around and ran backwards and passed me at the rate I was going. And that's how the race ended for me. Track meet, 800 meter. Didn't know how to get that thing done. Didn't know where to find the strength. I don't know at small school track meets if they still give out ribbons to seventh place finishers of the 800 meter. I don't know if they still do it. They did for me. And I would just humbly ask if anybody's responsible for that decision that you would reconsider giving pink ribbons to the seventh place winner. Is there anything worse than getting last already? Yes, there is. A beautiful pink ribbon, man, here. Well... Clearly, the memory has stayed with me, as did my confusion, wondering, why didn't I just go faster? Why didn't I go faster? I remember thinking that a few days later. I knew that guy was behind me. Just try harder. Go. Unhitch the trailer, man. Some of you know that here in 2 Timothy Paul's illustrations that he leans on includes finishing a race. And what Paul knows from experience 
spiritually speaking, is how to run the race and where to find the strength. Paul knows how to run the race. And he knows where to find the strength. And in this morning's passage, Paul's going to explain to Timothy both of those truths. And for us, we're going to walk through both of Paul's big ideas before we finish with application. And and here's why this morning, spiritually speaking, we need this. Far too many of us right now are in the middle of a race. We're in our spiritual race and we've never been taught how to run it. I mean, there's strategy to an 800-meter race. You better believe there's strategy on how you and I ought to run this race. But nobody's taught us how. And we don't know where to find the strength. Too, too many of us, I think, might be here feeling like we're losing the race. And if we're not careful, we're going to get a pink ribbon. This morning, we're going to get some coaching from Paul because that's exactly what Paul's giving Timothy and us by extension. How do Christians run the race and where do Christians find their strength? Those are Paul's two big ideas to Timothy. They will be our two big ideas as well. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, would you open to 2 Timothy? If you haven't already, 2 Timothy chapter 2. Verses 1 to 13, I want to show you from God's word how we run the race, where we find the strength. First, let's consider this question. How do Christians run the race? Look with me there at verse 2. I promise I'll get back to one in a moment, but look with me at verse 2 to see Paul write, and what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. 2 Timothy 2.2. As we we jump into this verse, remember what's behind this letter. If you've been with us for a while, you would know this. If you're new this morning, welcome. But understand what's going on in this letter is Timothy has applied the first letter Paul wrote, 1 Timothy. He's applied that. He confronted false teachers who were spitting all this genealogical garbage and myths. He did it. But instead of those false teachers responding positively To Timothy, these false teachers we trust have dug in and entrenched themselves. And it's like Timothy's in the middle of a boxing ring and he's just getting beaten up and battered and bloodied. And and we find him between rounds, as it were, getting this letter. And he's sitting on this stool and he's breathing heavy and he's thinking to himself, I mean, why does it feel like I'm losing this boxing match? I'm just doing what you told me to do, Paul. And Timothy has no corner man. Like in the Rocky movies, Rocky had Mickey. Timothy's got nobody. He feels so lonely. His corner man is stuck in Rome in a jail. And his corner man is going to die. Timothy needs encouragement. Timothy needs encouragement to get back there in the fight. You need to carry on the fight. And that's exactly what this letter is. Since Paul can't be in his corner literally, he's sent him a letter to read in the corner to motivate him to get back up and get in the fight. Or if we return to the running illustration, we might imagine Paul as Timothy's running coach sitting on the third 
corner of the track every time Timothy comes around saying, keep going, don't quit, keep going, don't quit. Paul motivating Timothy because the fight and the race for Timothy had felt so lonely. And we all know this loneliness, right? No matter where you're at this morning, you know this loneliness that can accompany the Christian walk, right? Because it's not, it's not just like Paul experienced some loneliness and, and he's the odd one, or that, or that Timothy felt lonely as he's trying to do his work, or, or that pastors are the only people that feel lonely this morning. Christian parents, I, I trust that there are times where you are trying to disciple your kids and it feels lonely, and you're, you're trying to get your mind around how do, I, how do I disciple my kids to love Jesus and your kids are not on board with that agenda. Or Christian marriages. If you're here and you're Christian and married, I trust that you have experienced at times loneliness in your marriage. In my view, this is one of the dirty little secrets they don't talk about very often is that when you're in marriage and you're a Christian, there are seasons where you feel like, I'm all alone in this thing. The other person feels all alone. It's hard to know what to do. Especially if in Christian marriage, you're on different pages spiritually. One of you loves Jesus. One of you's not quite there. Man, that just creates so much spiritual loneliness. Or those of you here who are single, I trust that you know what it's like to feel lonely. Some of you have shared the loneliness that you experience. Because it can be hard. It can be hard at a church like Mill Creek where... Seems like everybody walks in with a significant other and you're walking in by yourself. Or, or those of you who are a Christian working in a secular job as you try to integrate faith with vocation and try to honor biblical morality and keep a clear conscience, it's hard if coworkers pressure you to cut corners or celebrate Pride Month. What I'm trying to say is plenty of Christians have felt lonely like Timothy when, when you wake up and you go, man, I am discouraged and I'm wondering, why does it feel like I'm losing? And for Timothy then, chapter 2, verse 2, Paul clarifying, here's what you do, buddy. This is what you do. This is how you run the race. And it begins with being a disciple that makes disciples for God's glory. 2 Timothy, chapter 2, verse 2, what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Notice those three generations. What you've heard from me Paul to Timothy, and trust the faithful men, generation two. Timothy, you teach faithful men who will be able to teach others also, generation three. This is the Christian mission. You make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And all of us in here who are Christian, this is how we became Christian because there were some faithful men who entrusted it to other people who passed it down. Some of us, like Timothy, our moms taught us more about Jesus than dads. Others of us learned more from dad than mom. Either way, it's disciples making disciples. P point being, and I'd love for you to write this down, the first way Timothy was to run the race was by making disciples. If you're a note taker, we'd love for you to get that down. Make disciples. Go figure. Go figure. The mission of disciples making disciples for God's glory is totally biblical. Just like Jesus said, the Great Commission, 
Matthew 28, Jesus said near the end, last words are lasting words. Here's Jesus' last words in Matthew 28. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. That's our mission. It's how you run the race. That's the first way Paul's talking. Look at the second one in verse 3. Share in suffering. Share in suffering. If you're taking notes, I'd love for you to write that down. Here we see Paul calling Timothy to be like a dedicated soldier. Do you see that in the text? Dedicated soldier. Timothy, your commanding officer is Christ. For of course, for of course, dedicated soldiers, they're not burdened with civilian concerns. Dedicated soldiers have different priorities, yes? Soldiers are to be focused on the mission, which is, of course, hard and requires sacrifice, which is why Paul's saying, share in suffering as a good soldier. That's the second way. Then, Timothy used to run the race. Third way you run the race is by being an obedient athlete. Would you write down obey? Obey? Now, I know some, they hear the word obey, they have an allergic reaction. You buck at the thought of obedience. I thought this was a Christian church, Pastor. Why are you talking about obedience from the text? Don't you know the gospel, Pastor? That Christ died for our sins, not because we were obedient, but because of his grace and his mercy. And, and, and some of us buck at the thought of obedience because we don't want anyone thinking that salvation is somehow because of our good works. And of course, that's true. Of course. Of course, we preach that truth here at Mill Creek. Salvation is from Christ alone, not because of our own works, but because of his mercy and grace. That's absolutely true. But a defense of justification should never lead to a functional rejection of sanctification. And I want to make sure you get that. In an effort to defend justification, that it's true, okay, justification, that fancy word for being declared righteous before God, we believe that we are declared righteous before God, not because he looked at our resume or our letter jacket or decided, hey, what color ribbon did you get in sixth grade at the 800 meter? That's not why he justifies us. He just looks at us and he goes, you are declared righteous before God based on my salvation I just gave you. So we are declared righteous. That's true. And yet, sanctification, which is gradual growing righteousness, that's what sanctification is, gradual growing righteousness. Believing in justification doesn't mean we functionally ignore that we're also to be more like Christ. And part of the way that happens is obedience. That's part of the way it's designed, which is what Paul's saying here with this picture of the athlete who does not get crowned unless he competes according to the rules. See, in the ancient Olympics where Paul and Timothy were uh, culturally accustomed to, if you won the race, you got a wreath. You didn't get a gold medal, you got a wreath. Even they knew not to give pink ribbons out back then, but whatever. You get a wreath, and, and, and there's, a, there's a saying that historians have carried over. Translation is roughly something like, no rules, no wreath. Which is to say, even if you were a wonderful athlete in Paul and Timothy's time, even if you could run faster than everybody, if you didn't follow the rules, you couldn't win. 
So how was Timothy to run the race? Making disciples, sharing and suffering, obeying. Fourth, by being a hardworking farmer. Hardworking. It is the hardworking farmer, verse 6, who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. I love the way Stott offers commentary on this idea of hardworking. He writes, this notion that Christian service is hard work is so unpopular in some happy-go-lucky Christian circles today that I feel the need to underline it. See, the word for hardworking in the original language signifies to toil. It means become weary, tired. And so to work hard, toil, strive, struggle, both the noun and the verb of this original word that we translate hardworking were favorite words with Paul. And it'd be maybe healthy for us Christians to see what strong exertion Paul believed to be necessary in Christian service. Real talk, hardest job I ever had, farmhand, when I was in high school. Hardest job. And any of you who know, a successful farmer know, they work hard. Good luck being a lazy farmer and making a profit. Now, maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking, okay, it's all good and fine. Pastor, I just, I watched from the text, how you walked through that text, and from God's word, you told us how we are to run the race. This is what Paul is saying. But I wonder if any of you are here, and you just watched, just listened, just took down those four applications. But I wonder if you might be thinking, not so different than I was on that last lap of that 800 meter race. Feeling like, all right, all right, I want to do it. But where do I find the strength? I want to be faithful to your word. But what, but what if I don't have anything left in the tank, pastor? See, I, I wonder if, I wonder how many in here, if you were really honest, it took every last little piece of energy just to get here today. You got out of bed, you faced today, you brushed your teeth, and you're here, and you're like, I don't know if I've got much left, man. Perhaps you're like Timothy, you're feeling a little lonely, and you wonder, how am I going to have strength to kick in however much longer I have in this race? That brings us to the second question. Where do Christians find their strength? Where do Christians find their strength? Would you loop back with me to the very first verse of this passage? Look how Paul starts it. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. <laughs> you then, Timothy, be strengthened by the grace that's in Christ Jesus. Meaning... Here is where we find some strength. This is where we find some energy to put in our tank to actually run the race God has for us is by remembering strength comes from grace. In fact, if you're taking notes, I'd love for you to write that down. Remember, strength comes from grace. Here's how New Bible Commentary speaks to this. Paul's phrase here in verse 1, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, means we find strength with the support of God's unmerited favor, not in reliance on natural ability. Oh man, I hope you're getting this. We are not to be like I was as a sixth grader in a race thinking, 
All the ability to kick it in has to come from inside me because we're empty. We have another tank that we get to access. Unmerited favor in Christ Jesus. Amen. It's not up to you and me to find strength. Get this, church. Paul, Paul is not yelling at Timothy as he runs by that third corner. Faster, 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 Timothy. You're going to get a pink ribbon if you're not careful. Paul's saying to Timothy, grace, man, grace. Grace got you in this deal, and grace is going to get you home. Find strength in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Second place we find strength, and there's some overlap here. There's some overlap in the way that Paul's talking about it, but the second one is clearly in Jesus Christ, which I get straight from verse 8. Look with me there. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, is preached in my gospel. What I want you to see here is a short synthesis of the gospel. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, meaning we know he lived, we know he died, but he's alive. Remember him. The offspring of David, which is Paul's way of saying, remember the whole Old Testament points to Jesus. Remember there will be a king who sits on the Davidic throne, 2 Samuel 7. There is the one that we are waiting for. His name is Jesus. He is Messiah. Remember him, Timothy, as you're running. Remember Jesus. Love for you to write that down. Remember strength comes from grace. Remember Jesus. Third place we get strength. It's by remembering God's word cannot be bound. Remember, God's word cannot be bound. End of verse 9. Paul's suffering. He's been put in chains. Paul's been treated like a criminal. But Paul finds great comfort in knowing you might put me in handcuffs. You can't put God's word in handcuffs. I'm not sure if you're tracking with me right now. Because that felt like fire when I said it, but I obviously, you know, I guess that's whatever. <laughs> All right, maybe, maybe it wasn't quite as good as I was intending it to be, but, I, but I'd like you to get that there is great comfort that governments can take out God's messengers. They can. But they can't stop God's message. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right. North Korea, Afghanistan, Iran. Syria, all the bad guys, they're killing Christians, but they can't stop the gospel. In fact, check out this little second century church father quote, the blood of martyrs is the seed of the church. Tertullian said that. Yeah. I mean, you can't, there is motivation for Paul as he's feeling lonely in his jail cell. And we're going to find out at the end of 2 Timothy, he's also cold. He wants a coat and he wants some books that he could read about God's word. He's cold, but he knows no matter what you do to me, you cannot stop what God is going to do through his word. So Timothy, as you're running your race, man, you got to remember grace Come, grace gives you strength. Remember Jesus and remember his word can't be bound. No matter how many times you get punched in the face, Timothy, God's word is going. Man, to live is Christ, to die is gain, according to Paul. And here is real strength. God's word can't be bound. Fourth way we find strength comes from chapter 2, verse 10. 
And it is in Paul's endurance for the elect. Which is a fancy way of Paul saying, I am going to seek to faithfully, faithfully live my life in such a way that those who are not yet Christians would be able to see how I live and they would be convinced Jesus is true, the gospel is real, and salvation is available. See, for Paul, for Paul, he isn't merely thinking about his own pace or his own pain or the opposition he faces. Paul's mind, as he's running his race, is on those who may someday come to faith. And he's enduring in part for their sake. And he's calling Timothy by example to say, Timothy, this thing isn't just about you sitting in a corner getting your face punched in. This thing is also about all the other people who someday will come to saving faith because you are faithful. That motivates me. That motivates me when I'm running my race and I'm thinking, this actually matters. I hope this motivates you, man. It's not about you. It's not about me and how hard our little race is. Oh, I know I'm the best at throwing a pity party. If you're good at throwing a pity party, visit me after service. I'm happy to show you how I'm even better at pity parties. My race is so hard, blah, blah, blah. Live in America. It's really tough for me. I could do that. But when we realize, man, this race isn't about me. It's not about lonely. It's not about how hard it is. Part of our motivation is to endure for those who aren't yet Christians. For those who someday might come to saving faith in Jesus Christ because of somebody we've discipled. Like this, parents, parents, find strength in discipling your kids. Find strength. Find strength because in part, someday they might come to saving faith. They may come to saving faith and, and they may share the gospel with other people who will come to saving faith. You might actually get to see three generations of disciples because you were faithful with your kids. So disciple your kids. Keep having them come to church with you. Keep praying for them. Oh, I know that while they're under your roof, they're going to throw a fit. And I know culture's yelling at you saying, oh, your kids know better what your kids... Your kids are smarter at knowing what they need spiritually than you are, parents. I know the world tells you that, but just like, just like you wouldn't let your kid eat anything when they were little, and just like you wouldn't let your kid borrow your car and drive it however fast they wanted, even if the culture said they know better, just you keep your kid to follow a curfew, and you have, you have some rules even when they're seniors in high school and beyond. What I'm, what I'm saying is, parents, let's, let's disciple our kids. You are the parent. One day your kid will have autonomy, and we do need to think through how to help them launch well, but while you're the parent, man, be the parent and disciple your kid and pray for them in the right way. Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way they should go. When they are old, they will not depart from it. Stay faithful. Married couples, don't give up. Endure. Endure. Who knows who might come to faith as you faithfully stay married Singles, persevere through every season God has called you to endure. And though it might be another lonely Christmas season or you may have to face another Valentine's Day by yourself, faithfully persevere for who knows the kind of people that are faithfully watching you endure and seeing you live out that Jesus is enough for you and will find hope in salvation because of your example. For those here who are struggling at work, who knows the kinds of folks who are watching you right now? Who knows 
Who knows what your faithful witness to not cut corners, to have integrity, to live your convictions despite what your boss might do to you, who knows how that will actually influence people to go, man, if that person sees that Jesus is faithful and believes God's word, there might be something there. It's not easy, but strength does come from remembering the elect. Remember the elect. Finally, remember the coming reward. Fifth place to find strength. We find a trustworthy saying there in 2 Timothy. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. Here's confirmation for what Paul's already explained. The Christian life will bring suffering. Jesus did die. Paul did die. But the reward, reigning with Christ, it's worth it. Be warned, if you deny Christ, the New Testament is warning you, Christ will deny you. The New Testament is full of warnings for those who turn their back on Christ. Here's how Yarborough puts it in his commentary. Those who show by their beliefs and action that Christ is not their Lord cannot expect God's approval in this age or the next. So this denial is a true warning, but verse 13 brings the hope, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. Reminds me of 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Peter denied Christ. Paul was a blasphemer. They confessed their sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us. So, so if you're here and you've made a mess in your sin, remember grace. Strength comes from grace. Remember Jesus. Remember God's word can't be bound. Remember the elect and then remember the coming reward. And Timothy needed this reminder. And we do too. I do too. I'm convinced everybody in this room needs 2 Timothy 2, 1 to 13, because everyone in here is struggling with this passage in one of two ways. Let's move to application. Let me push this home. Some of us in here, we need this because we are focused far more on what we are supposed to do than where we find our strength. Track with me. We're almost done. Track with me here. This is important. Far too many of us in here, we are all about how Christians run the race. So when I walked through that first section on how you run the race, I said, you need to make disciples and you need to obey and you need to be a hardworking farmer. You had your little notepad out and you just loved that part. Oh, yeah, obey, hardworking farmer. I love getting up early. I get up before farmers do. You love this part. And all of that is true. All of that is true and important. But if you're honest. Some of you in here, you've been focused so much more on what you do than where you get strength. And you, you walked in here and you are weary. You are weary. You are bone tired because you have been working, but your strength is not coming from grace. 
you've been finding strength in your grit. And one more cup of coffee. And one more late night. You need this passage. Others of you, you need this sermon for the opposite reason. You didn't love the first part. That was meh. Obey, meh. Hardworking, meh. But the second point, oh yeah, I love that. Of course, you didn't write it down because that's not your style. But you, you loved hearing. All about strength comes from Jesus. We, we all need this. Let me say it this way. As Christians, we walk in here, you are likely either weary because you have been running the race and you are tired and don't know how to get strength from Christ. Or you're watching the race. You're watching the race and you need Paul's reminder to get in the race. You've been sitting in the stands. Everyone in here needs this. Since our first point was how to run the race, let me begin by talking to Christians here who are watching. You're watching the race, but you're not really in the race. If that's you, dear friend, dear friend, I'm afraid you might be a sleepy Christian. Someone who has come to saving faith, but since has dozed off. Symptoms of a sleepy Christian. I took these from someone else. These aren't mine originally. Sleepy, symptoms of those who might be watching the Christian race are those of you who realize God is no longer dear to your heart. He's no longer real to your heart. You've lost the sweet delight in his presence. You're a sleepy Christian. You're a watching Christian. If you can't remember the last time that, that, that the Lord was sweet to you or that his word was, was precious to you, and, and you read the scripture, but it doesn't seem alive. It doesn't seem active. It, it seems like, meh. And you read biblical promises, and you sing biblical songs, and you find in your heart, it's not very precious. It's not really encouraging. And if you're honest, there's other things that are dominating your, your heart and mind when everything takes a moment and it's not the gospel. You're sleepy. And based on the authority of this passage, here then is how you must run. You are to commit to discipleship, dear friend. You are to make disciples. That is your mission. And you're just watching in the stands. And what I'm trying to say is get in the race. You are going to face. You are going to face Christ. And he's going to ask you, did you do what I said? And you can't say, well, I didn't know. You're here right now. Commit to discipleship. Understand, suffering is not weird. That is the norm. Okay? This is not our home. Suffering is normal. Know, know what God's expectations are. He wants us to live obediently. So if you don't follow the rules, you're not going to get the wreath. No rules, no wreath. And work hard as you race. If you're sitting in the stands and you're snoozing while there's this Christian discipleship race, I'm inviting you to come down. Get in the race. This is what Christians do. While faithfulness definitely requires depending on Christ, faithfulness also requires doing 
And that's what those of you who are watching need to get. Faithfulness does require depending, but it also requires running. That's for those who are watching, for those in the race who are weary. If you're here and you're weary, find comfort in Paul's words. Find comfort in God's words. God gives strength in his grace. He really has strength for you. Rest in his grace. He hasn't given you grace for tomorrow, so don't let tomorrow's anxiousness and tomorrow's questions and all that you're worried about tomorrow rob you of your peace today. When tomorrow comes, you will have grace for tomorrow. His mercies are new every morning, amen? Receive his grace that he has for you today. Yes, faithfulness does require doing. We've already landed that. But for you, what you need to remember is faithfulness requires you depending on him for his grace. You need his strength. You don't have what it takes to get across the finish line on your own power, dear friend. You need encouragement. It's Jesus who's holding the whole universe together, friend, not you. It's Jesus who's sovereign, not you. It's Jesus who's, who's, who's won the race, not you. For those weary, Remember, the Bible can't be stopped. It's our tactical advantage. Let's use it. And remember, reward is coming. This race will end. There is coming a day when our race is complete. And this is where we find the energy to faithfully endure. Good news, friend. You don't have to worry that you're going to come in last in the Christian race. Good news. In heaven, nobody's getting pink ribbons. There's not like a finish line in heaven that, that Jesus is watching, whether you're going to get seventh place in a race of seven people. Instead, we are in heaven because Jesus won the race. We get his wreath. I mean, we get his gold medal. You didn't deserve gold, gold medal? No, I sure didn't, but I got it. Christ has declared us righteous. That's how we have run our race. So if you're here and a Christian, you're not losing. You're not losing. And your identity is not based on how everybody else is deciding whether you won or lost this week. So run, dear friend, if you are weary, by remembering Christ. Christ is our faithful teacher. Christ is our dedicated soldier. Christ perfectly ran his race. Christ is the hardest working farmer. Christ really is the Messiah that we are waiting for. Christ is the one that David knew was coming. Christ is the Messiah. He pursued his prize. And Christ is now sitting at the right hand of God. And he is coming again. But as he waits, he is praying for you. So if you're here and you are watching the race, get in it. And if you are weary, take comfort from Christ. Get strength from him. May God bring us all home. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your word. Strengthen us in every way for what we need. For those who are watching, may they get in the race. For those who are weary, provide what you require. We pray this all in Jesus. Amen.
If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com.